Well, everybody, welcome to this brand new episode of the Satisfied God Podcast. Uh, Raven Bird, once again, it's a pleasure uh, to be with you in these uh, episodes and uh, so grateful that you are taking the time out of your day to listen. Sitting here, <laughs> you, you have to kind of see it from my perspective. I have a hard time sometimes just sitting in front of a microphone recording these things and thinking it's doing anything at all thinking there's any real um purpose in it now that's just me in my mind i have a very <clears throat> pessimistic mind uh, by nature and uh, i have to i have to understand that you know this is not this is not of my doing my responsibility is not uh beyond doing what i can do and what i am given to do and so it's always a joy to know that it's it's uh, reaching you guys and and uh being a blessing as far as being a tool that god is using in your life to draw your heart to see jesus uh, to give you a hunger toward the ongoing knowing and comprehending of our salvation. That's that's a wonderful thing, and that that keeps me. You know that that does uh, encourage me. Let's say it that way, and I appreciate it very much. Today, what I want to uh, what I want to do is get back into the Romans chapter 9 lessons that we've been doing I haven't uh, I think it's maybe sometime in uh, maybe April since we've been in Romans 9 because of other lessons and other things that's been going on in these studies but Romans 9 I want to end the chapter today hopefully if I can and looking at the notes and the things that we have to cover this could be split up in two um, sessions or one very long one we'll see how it goes Sometimes breaking it up doesn't help, but I want to begin in verse 29, and I think we dealt in the last with some of this where God would do a work and cut it short in righteousness, and we we spoke about that and, and dealt with that in the last lesson on these particular verses. Today, we're going to go into Romans chapter 9. We're going to start in verse uh, 29 and read through verse 33, which is the uh, the end of the chapter. So let's go ahead and read. I'll be reading from the King James here. Uh, and <clears throat> excuse me. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaot, which is the Lord of hosts, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but, as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone 
and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And in the next chapter, Paul will state his desire for his brethren. It, it just piggybacks off of this. Of course, we know it's not in chapters and verses when he wrote it. But he piggybacks on this and continues this thought because he begins to state and, and present his heartfelt desire and prayer to God for his people, his brethren. But he speaks of them... In, in the first of chapter 9, as those who had this wonderful um, distinction and advantage, as those who were first blessed with the promises and the oracles of God and the covenants of God and all of that, the prophetic intentions concerning the coming of the Messiah and the salvation that he is to all who would receive him. But in chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 3, he says this, Brethren, the pleasure indeed, the desire, the pleasure of my heart and my supplication that is to God for Israel, and this is from the Young's Literal, is for salvation. Listen to those words. My prayer, my supplication, my heart toward Israel and my prayer to God for them is for salvation. For I bear them testimony that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For not knowing the righteousness of God and their own righteousness seeking to establish to the righteousness of God, they did not submit. Now that's going to be important as we go. Because again, when considering how he continues to chapter 10 here, it becomes clear what, he, what it means for Paul when he speaks of those who followed not after the righteousness, having attained a righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Because it's not a matter of attainments as we would think of attainments by efforts and religious works and religious observations. It is an attainment, he says in chapter 9, it was by faith. Here in chapter 10, he says the same thing, but he uses a different word that gives us an idea of faith, gives us some clear, I, I think, kind of defines a particular aspect of faith. And that is submission. The attainment to the righteousness of God here is not an attainment because you have done it or you have worked hard enough or zealous enough. They had zeal. This was not the point. Zeal was not the defect. No faith was the problem. And what is faith? Faith is, is, is simply the soul submitting to the righteousness of another. The righteousness that belongs exclusively to God himself. And that is a huge part of this. They would not believe in the sufficiency and power of God to do in them what the law left undone. 
because the law was a means of testimony that gave testimony to this perfect life, this perfect righteousness, this holiness that God had defined eternally. Because when the law is testifying of something, let's keep in mind, it had an eternal substance, an eternal definition it was testifying of. None of the things the law testified of and gave witness to had its origin in the earth. In fact, let me read, uh, let me turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of faith being the substance of things hoped for. Again, that's all pointing back to the time, the age of testimony where this salvation that Paul in Hebrews, or whoever wrote Hebrews, I believe to be Paul, but uh, the writer of Hebrews throughout this letter extolled the fact that Christ is better than anything of this age of testimony. Why? Because it's not something that's different. It is him coming to be the intent of it fulfilled. The the whole point of it made manifest. That's why he's better. Christ is better than the 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 uh, than Moses. He's better than the law. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than the priest. All of it. He's better than the sacrifices because he comes as the embodiment, spiritual embodiment and fulfillment and consummation of those testimonial elements. So faith is that which lays hold of and appropriates that which is of God and not of us. The things that were hoped for, faith lays hold of the substance of those things, the things that could not be seen and still cannot be seen by naturalized faith, full trust and confidence in the divine power of God to be and to do what we cannot be or do, that faith lays hold of and appropriates unto salvation that which could not be seen, but now has been made manifest to us. Paul says that same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and ch or chapter 2, that it is a, uh, a reality that no man can know. Eye cannot see, ear cannot hear, mind of man cannot ascend to it. But God has revealed it unto us by his Spirit. And faith is that which lays hold of that divine reality that the Spirit of God reveals and makes known. It is a salvation complete, a salvation that has been rendered and made manifest by God in Christ. Now, we'll get to some things later that, that proves that out even more. But then he goes into the, the testimony and shows how there were those throughout the testimony that looked beyond the elements of the testimony and saw beyond those superficial natural elements and even the things that were playing out amongst them, and they saw a greater reality beyond that. They saw the intent beyond 
that moment in time. They saw Christ in a, in a sense. And that is why, you know, all of these things, why these people are listed. They, they saw, they desired a city. But they knew that that particular city wasn't it. They knew there was something greater by faith. They saw far off and realized there was a greater reality. And they did not. They died not having received the end of the promise. However, we, in Christ, have come to the very reality promise. In so much that chapter 12 will finally bring you to this statement. Ye are come to Mount Zion. And then he enumerates multiple things that we have come to as those who have come to Mount Zion in Christ Jesus. Those who have come to Jesus, the author and the completion of faith. Faith looked toward consummation. Now the faith we have, the faith that we have in, in Christ, as those who have received him, We've, we've received the consummation of faith. We've received not something still waiting for it, looking beyond this moment, looking beyond it to another time. No, we've come to the time consummation. We've come to that time consummated, say it better, by faith. And our confidence lies in the fact that we have submitted to the power and righteousness of another. But then, let's go to verse 3, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 3 of Hebrews 11. Through faith, we understand. The worlds, that is not the natural world. Look it up. It's aeon. It's the ages. That's the age of testimony. The ages that testified of Christ. The worlds, those ages, were framed or brought into being, designed, orchestrated by the word of God. Go to John chapter 1. That, be, that word who was in the beginning, now the word becomes flesh. So the one that formed it, gave it fashion, gave it a structure, gave it the substance or the pattern and the outline of it, came to be the fulfillment of it. Because the external testimony was a pattern that pointed to Christ came as the substance that pattern pointed to because he was the originating thought he was the substance that gave it original form okay and he comes as a spiritual embodiment of that form it's like a blueprint in a house one is testimony the other is reality and can be dwelt in can be lived in you can't live in a blueprint they were framed by the words of God, that age of testimony. So the things which are seen, that's the things of the testimony. The tabernacle, the temple, the priesthood, all the things that in this letter Paul is saying, Jesus Christ is better than this. All of those things are the things that are seen. But those seen things were not made, did not have its origin, in things that do appear, meaning they do not come out or their, their, their existence is not out of that which is also seen. You can say, well, you know, the, the tabernacle was made by, uh, of materials and, you know, had all the fabrics and the different aspects and all the minutiae we read about. 
But what he's saying is that the thing that formed it, the reason it existed, was not a natural thing. The, the, the thing that gave it form, the reason it existed as a seen thing, was not just to be created out of seen things. That which created it and gave it existence, the reason it existed as an actual seen and touchable thing was because it had eternal and divine origin. Faith understands that. Why? Because faith lays hold of that which is unseen, the eternal, that which is spirit. So they who sought it by the law of righteousness had not attained, we'll talk about that word, to the law of righteousness because they did not seek by faith. They did not seek that righteousness. They did not follow the law of righteousness and come to faith. It was, it was, it was a lack of faith. That was the issue, not a lack of zeal. And faith, again, is defined in chapter 10 here by Paul as a submission to a righteousness that was already perfectly embodied. God had already had righteousness perfectly personified in the beloved Son. So salvation is not do it, meet this standard, work until you attain it. Salvation is submit by faith, submit to something already attained by God, already possessed by God, already embodied in God. Because he will then give it to you as you submit by faith to it, gives it to you as a gift, not as a wage for your labor. Now, I got way ahead, lay his foundation for where we're going. So, at the beginning of, of these verses that we read, he says, Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a seed, we would have been as, as Sodom and as Gomorrah. To look at that, let's, let's look in the same letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 4, Verse 13, Romans 4 is very important to this whole picture. I think we're going to look at Romans 4 a little bit more as we go, but Romans 4 is important here. Let's look at verse 13. For the promise that he should be, speaking of Abraham, of course, be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Because that's what, that's what the Gentiles have attained. That's why it's so important that Paul, writing this, said that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness. And then he has to add this part, even the righteousness which is of faith. Because that's a, that's a righteousness that the, that the Jews did not receive. And rejected. Why? Because, as Romans 10 says, they sought to establish a righteousness of their own, one that was 
the result of effort and observance. So, it, the promise did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And if they which are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void. And the promise is made of no effect. Because the law works wrath. It exposes the fact that we're under wrath as condemned under sin. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Meaning we are free. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the goal, that the promise might be sure. Listen to that word. Sure. To all the seed. To all the seed. But who are the seed of Abraham? Who are the seed? Who's counted for the seed? He's already said it again in Romans 9. He says it in Galatians 3. Not seeds as of many. To thy seed who is Christ. So if they be Christ's, then they are Abraham's seed and heirs. They couldn't be heirs under the law, but they can be by faith through grace. Might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Romans 9, verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they the children, but in Isaac, a testimony of the seed of promise, shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, they are not the children of God. Those who boast that they have a lineage or a, a familiar attachment to the, to the covenant people. They're not the children of God. The children of the promise are counted for the seed. And then he begins to speak of how? Faith. A faith that apprehends something beyond you, greater than you, other than you. So the seed is identified as that which is the children of faith, the children of promise, who have partaken of the grace of God and are counted for the seed, those who are born of the seed of God. That's what this is speaking of. And that's the only means to have a promise sure to all the seed receiving the thing that God promised and make it the sure possession, the certain possession that ensures that we are not to be destroyed, not to be cast away, as with Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, remember what happens to those who rejected Jesus Christ and held to the law of Moses and held to feasts and festivals and tabernacles uh, to, you know, worshiping in the temple and uh, worshiping, you know, and sacrifices and offerings in the priesthood. And they held to those things, believing that in those things they were going to attain or possessed the righteousness of God. Notice what happened to them. They were destroyed off the face of the earth. God destroyed that entire system. 70 AD come and the whole thing was gone. And unless God brought this 
grace and mercy in a seed. Unless he did this, unless the execution of God's word where he finished his work and cut it short in righteousness, unless that happens, there was only one end that could possibly happen, and that is the destruction just as Sodom and Gomorrah. And not just physical destruction, being without God, the destruction of the soul. I mean, the destruction of a soul. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek, neither bond nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So let's let's look let's look a little closer here at what he says about the Gentiles and the Jews here, the distinction that he's making. The Gentiles which followed not after righteousness. What does that mean? It means they did not have a law to follow. When he's speaking of righteousness here, he's speaking of the righteousness in the law, the righteousness that the law testified of. They did not go after the righteousness in the law, but they have attained to righteousness. But how? Because they attained the righteousness that the law testified of by faith. But Israel that followed after the law of righteousness, they followed the law, have not attained to the law of righteousness. And we'll see, it's very important that you see the words here in these particular places are different. The word attained in accordance to the Gentiles is not the same word attained when it's speaking of, of, of Israel. There's two different words. The first word is katalambano, 2638, if you want to look this up in the Strong's Concordance. It is a word that means to lay hold of so as to make one's own, to obtain it, even to seize it and take possession of it. How did that happen? They didn't work for it by law. They came and received it and took hold of it by faith. They laid hold of something that was that was presented by God, that, that God bestowed and, and offered. So because they did not, by the law, continue to seek righteousness in the law, they received by faith the righteousness the law testified of. However, when referring to the Jews, he uses a different word for attain. And this thano, 5348 in Strong's, it means to reach or to anticipate, to reach an end or arrive at a particular goal. That's a different thing. They did not arrive or reach the place intended for them. Why? Because they held to the law in which their righteousness was assumed to be found instead 
of following the law and finally arriving to the goal the law as a schoolmaster would by nature bring them to, by design bring them to. The law was given of God to bring them to its own end, to bring them to the end of its testimony, and that is Christ himself, the end of the law, the fulfillment of it, the, the substance of everything the law demanded and testified of, that law by design was given of God to bring you to that end. The law was not evil in that it wanted to make men its slave and condemn men forever. The law was spiritual, Paul says, because the law by design had a spiritual intention and goal in view and the law by design would bring the hearts of men to its own conclusion but those who were in the law who had found their righteousness their own righteousness in that law sought righteousness through that law and therefore they stayed there they would not arrive at its end because they were committed to attaining something of their own. Why? They would not submit to the righteousness the law itself declared. They would not submit themselves to a righteousness the law itself would bring them to. Not by works, but by faith. The law was to bring you to faith. That's why he was saying, Galatians, when faith came, when faith came, when the object of faith came and you were able to lay hold of him and, and, and receive him, those who received him are no longer under the law. The law has done its job as a schoolmaster and brought you to its own end. But those who sought in the law a righteousness that they could boast in, that they could glory in they did not arrive at the anticipated goal because the law always testified of another life the law always gave testimony of a righteousness that was already God's that was already perfectly defined perfectly embodied perfectly personified and all we had to do was submit to a righteousness that is of God and not of us. And that's what faith unto salvation, that's what salvation really is. It is a soul submitting, bowing the knee to a reality that is of God and not of us and receiving as a gift imputed something out of our reach. That's the whole point of it. That's the whole point of it. The righteousness described by the law and in these words, what they attained, the Gentiles attained, what, the, what Israel, the Jews, did not attain because they sought it by the law and not by faith, that righteousness is outside of the scope and reach of human effort and ability. As we've said, it has eternal source has divine substance. So observance and 
observation of a law that describes that righteousness demands and requires that righteousness without the ability to actually impute that righteousness is incapable of being the source of such attainment. The attainment of a righteousness that is substantiated in spirit in Christ is and has to be by design again through the divine power of God. Through the mercy and grace of God gifting, imputing to the submitted soul the righteousness of him that is otherwise out of our reach, out of our capability, beyond us. And I'm going to tell you, it, be, it, it begins, it continues forever beyond us. What we have received in Christ is always beyond us. It's always other than us. That's why you can't see it naturally. You can't understand it naturally. That's why the necessity of always God opening the eyes to see what is spirit, what is truth concerning Christ who's in you and made unto you all of these divine spiritual realities that are without and beyond the scope of your own understanding. So how do they attain? Or how do they not attain? What is the distinction? The attaining or the not attaining? There has to be a distinction. Faith is a distinction. But another way to say that is submission is a distinction. They will not submit. The Gentiles did not have a law. They did not have righteousness that they assumed they possessed because they had a law. So when they heard the gospel of grace, they submitted their hearts to the power of God to receive from Him and in Him and as Him what they could never achieve in and of themselves. They submitted to the righteousness of God. That's what the attainment is. It is faith that submits and holds fully confident in the power of another and submits to a righteousness that already belongs to God, that's already embodied in a perfect man and not us. You fall under and become subservient and submissive and subordinate to the rule and power and sufficiency of another. That's what faith is. That is why faith is even a gift that has to be given because it is, it is not within men to make such a claim of weakness and to submit to the power of someone else. It is a gift. Faith has to come into our hearts. Faith has to be a gift given of God for us to even submit and believe in the power of another to do and to be in us what is beyond and not in us to do. So in Romans 10, again, verses 3 through 4, he says, For not knowing the righteousness of God, and their own righteousness they continually seek to establish to the righteousness of God they did not submit. Why? Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who is believing. 
Christ is the end. That's the teleos. That means the goal that was set, the place of arrival God intended. And the law intended and would bring men to. But that end, to receive that end, to receive that righteousness, you have to submit to it. That's what being born again is all about. I submit to being born of another, to be born of God, because I realize nothing that I have in me is of any spiritual worth whatsoever. And see, that's what the gospel, the exalting the sufficiency of Christ, should also make men understand. You are not capable. You are not able. This is not of you. This is not from you as a source. It cannot be. You can't be good enough, do good enough. This has to be a work of God. Submit. Humble yourself. That word submit there, it act, it's uh, 5293 in the Strong's, and it means to place underneath, to subordinate, to be made subject to, to become subservient. So Christ is the end. He's the goal that the law could... That, the, that men trying by the law to be righteous instead of allowing the law to bring you to the righteousness of God, that law was not able to bring that about. The law could not impute that. Galatians says it. If the law could have given life, then righteousness, which is found in the life of Christ, then life and righteousness would have been the result if that life could have been imputed or given by the law. I apologize for the noise. There's also somebody cutting the grass over here. I'm sorry. So to arrive at this end, to attain to this end, as it's used with the Jews, the reason they could not arrive at this end and goal is a insubordinate view that made the law a means of self-righteousness and self-attainment rather than a testimony of another righteousness that God himself would give to those who would believe by faith would believe in the man of whom it actually testifies. So arriving at this end is simply bowing the knee, bending the knee, submitting the soul to the sufficiency of another, to give over oneself and give over one's right that he believes he has to boast and have confidence in any aspect of his own righteousness, his works, his efforts, but to absolutely abandon yourself over to the perfection and righteousness of another. And whether you know it or not, that's what new birth is. From the moment we are born again, we are brought under subjection and made fully subservient to the substance, sufficiency of another man. And that's good news to those who realize, I'm not and I can't. It is a soul partaking of a gift that we did not 
attained by our works and deserved by our efforts. It is a gift. That soul acquiesces to another's rule, to another's power, because that's the moment you're born again, you're brought under the sovereign rule of a king, of a, of a man who has purchased your soul, redeemed you out of slavery to sin and death, and you acquiesce to another's rule. Through that transaction, you become subservient to that man's power, that man's dominion and sovereignty because you understand to some degree your own power, your own works have proven fruitless. And we go back. We, you know, we, we spent some time in, in the lessons in Matthew 5 and what is called the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. And here's Jesus on the mountain in Matthew 5 at the very beginning saying to these Jews that's gathered to him the picture again of a of what they call a new covenant Mount Sinai the the law the new the law of spirit now declaring to them proceeding out from that mountain now in fulfillment blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are you who mourn blessed are those who are uh, under the condemnation of sin, hungering and thirsting after righteousness that you could not receive under that age of testimony, under the law of Moses. You were poor in spirit because with regard to any spiritual attribute at all, you were bankrupt. You hungered and thirsted because there was nothing to satiate the soul under that system. The bread from heaven had not yet come. But he is now coming, and it is him who is speaking to them. And he says, if you come to me, blessed are you. Blessed are the hungering and thirsting. Why? Because if you receive me, you will be filled. The kingdom of God will come and be yours in you. And that will happen only if you come to me. This is that blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's the blessing he offered to them. Who were by the law attempting to be anticipating the end of the law anticipating the coming of salvation and here he comes speaking to them and declaring that if they are those who are poor in spirit if they are those who are hungering and thirsting they could come and receive the blessedness of his messianic dominion and rule where he would be made unto them all of the blessings that the God's promises actually declared. The law gave to Israel the right goal, but they pursued it in the wrong way. They took it to themselves and attempted to make it a means for themselves to attain something instead of allowing it by design, by God's own design, to bring them, uh, we, we went through Psalms 119, it speaks of the law so many times, as a road, as a, as a path, to bring them down that path to its final destination, which is Jesus Christ. The Gentiles, by faith, received, attained, and arrived at that very end that goal and see that's what Paul would say as far as Christ being in you in Colossians chapter 1 down at the end of chapter 1 he speaks of the whole mystery that was hidden throughout those ages of testimony 
throughout the law itself was this mystery Christ in you and that mystery has now come and is now made known and is now dwelling in the hearts of those who have believed and he says to those we preach him let me read it because this has been and I'm sure if you've heard me for any amount of time you've heard me look at this but let me get back to my Bible here and pull it up here it is verse 28 after he said this is the whole mystery this is what was uh, hidden and this is the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles God's making known Christ in you the hope the expectation the anticipated end he's the glory that was anticipated and he's now in you whom we preach this is the Christ we preach we preach the Christ who is in you we preach the Christ who has brought into your soul everything the mystery and the testimony kept hidden it is now made manifest Christ himself dwelling in your soul has brought your soul to a state of blessedness fulfillment consummation and that's the one we preach we warn every man teaching every man in all fullness of wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus what does that actually mean I mean because many today still teach that we preach him who is in you who brings into your soul by his very presence every complete substance of spiritual life everything in absolute perfection he brings that into your soul makes that the actual condition and state of your soul you're complete in him why because he who is complete is in you and yet we take these words and we say we want to preach this we preach him and we warn them and we teach them that we may finally that's how we interpret it that we may finally at some point be able to present them perfect every man perfect in Christ I'm trying to watch <laughs> watch how I say this we think too highly of ourselves that is not the meaning of this your preaching of Jesus your ministry of the kingdom is not the means by which somebody's going to become perfect and what do we do we take a word like perfect and complete and we look at a strong concordance and we point out we we point to the to the definition that fits our narrative and we say oh it means mature that means there's a process of maturity here no, the word is complete, perfect. If you want to go to mature, you could say it that way if you understand the context of Galatians chapter 4. Children and sons, where's the distinction made? It's not about a Christian being from a child and, and, and an idiot, you know, and some kind of a remedial until finally growing up. It's not what, that's not what this is about. Preaching every man perfect, and, and of all translations, 
the complete Jewish Bible actually says it properly. We declare and preach to every man in Christ that they have come to the goal. Not will. Not after they've sat under my teaching for years or weeks or months or decades. Every man in Christ, in the Messiah, have come to the goal. That's the ministry of preacher. <laughs> That's what we preach. Declaring to them the completion they've come to. Declaring to them the fullness they have received in Christ Jesus. Why? Because that will make them do one thing. Set your affection to see him. The other will cause them to look at themselves, assess what they're doing or not doing, and a tweak and make adjustments. And guess what you have? You have a carnal-minded man trying to reach a spiritual end. No, we preach that they've come to the goal. Why? Because they have. Jew, Gentile, all who have believed, it doesn't matter. All who have believed, who have submitted by faith to the sufficiency and power of His completion, His perfection. I mean, Galatians, if you look at the distinction here being made, the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of the law. In Galatians chapter 2, when he's addressing Peter, Paul, Paul writes this, We by nature, because, you know, Peter was backing away from the Gentiles when those from Jerusalem came in, the leaders of the church. And when he backed away from them, having at, for some time, it seems, eaten with them and fellowship with them and living, you know, as one who was free, just like them in Christ. And then he backs away and plays the hypocrite. And Paul calls him out openly before everyone and he says we by nature Jews and not sinners of the Gentiles and by that he means they do not have righteousness in law they do not have the law have known we being Jews have known also that a man is not declared righteous or justified by works of law but through the faith of Jesus Christ also we who knew that in Christ Jesus did believe so that we might be declared righteous by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Because no flesh is declared righteous by the works of the law. We've had to believe in the righteousness of Him. We've had to receive the righteousness that's not of us, righteousness not of works. And again, that's the whole point of the testimony. I mean, it's the whole picture with Abraham. Again, going back to Romans 4. I'm going to read verse 3 through 13 here. Reading a lot today. We need to know these things scripturally. What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, listen to that phrase, justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That's submission. 
That's submission. You're not fighting with the fact that you're ungodly. You're not trying to tweak that and adjust that and make that better. You come to him knowing, I am in need of the righteousness of another. I'm in need of a salvation that delivers me out of this body of death, out of this death, out of this sin, out of this corruptibility. Salvation is the only means by faith for the righteousness that is God's alone to become the imputed, abiding state and gift of, to, of God to your soul. And then in verse 6 of Romans 4, even as David also describes the blessedness of the man. Listen to those words again. Blessedness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He has blessed you with all spiritual blessing. Here's the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Saying, this is David, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord is not imputing sin. Comes this, does this blessedness come then upon the circumcision only? Or upon the uncircumcision only? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision. He was not yet circumcised. The circumcision has not come in. But in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised that he might be the father of them that believe though they be not circumcised that righteousness by, might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only but who also walk in the steps of the father of that faith of our father Abraham which he had being yet uncircumcised for the promise that he should be the heir was of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith this is a this is something faith again submission to the power substance sufficiency perfection of another that does not leave men with a process to finally reach or attain to that same standard it means that men who could never attain to such a standard have received by the grace and mercy of God that standard already reached in its most perfect form and that is Christ in you which was always the intent of the law the law was always to bring you right to that goal as long as they sought it by faith they attained it the ones who, was, who, who, who kept desiring by law, by ordinances, by religious effort to achieve it or to attain it or to arrive at the goal that God was after because they looked at righteousness and they separated it from the Messiah. They divorced it from the man who was coming. They divorced it from the one who was promised and they made righteousness an abstract entity and they gave it a definition. And that definition had their face on it, their work on it, their efforts on it. We do the same. 
Righteousness, holiness have been bastardized into meaning absolutely nothing. Because there's 10 million different definitions and God only and ever has only had one. And he perfectly embodies it in a man, in his perfect beloved son. The gift of God that we receive by faith is that perfect man abiding in the soul and being made unto the soul the righteousness of the law, the righteous requirements in the law fulfilled. Paul made such a submission that he could count all of these things that were gained to him as loss. All of the things that as a man of the law that he saw as gain, that he saw as, as a means to attain a righteousness, he counted it dung and came to Christ to receive to receive in him and as him what the law could not provide. But what the law did in actuality testify of and that substance to which the law by design would bring all men to. Now, what I want to do, and there's a distinction being made, of course. The Jew who didn't attain it because they sought it by righteous or by law. The Gentiles who did attain because they sought it by faith. And I want to make a distinction with you in two parables of Jesus. However, I've already gone over an hour and that's going to take me another at least hour to go through these things. I'm going to read you the first one and I'm going to refer to the second one in the next lesson, in the next episode, we'll get to it. And we'll talk about it. And we'll see how it parallels to what he's saying in Romans chapter 9. It's from Matthew 25, verses 1, I think it's through verse 13. I'm going to read these. And then in the next episode, we'll talk about it. Okay? Matthew 25, 1. Then shall the rain... I've, this is from the uh, Young's Literal translation, so it would be different if you're reading the King James or other. Then shall the rain of the heavens, that's the kingdom of heaven, be like unto ten virgins, who have taken their lamps, went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were prudent, or wise, and five foolish. Now, when it's talking again about meeting the bridegroom, let's refer back again, and we'll do this in the next episode to some degree, to John the Baptist and what he says concerning his ministry and who Christ is in his coming. I'll just leave it there. So they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five foolish. They who were foolish, having taken their lamps, did not take with themselves oil. And the prudent took oil in their vessels. Listen to that. In their vessels with their lamps. And the bridegroom tarrying, they all nodded and were sleeping. And in the middle of the night a cry was made, Lo, the bridegroom doth come. Go forth to meet him. Then rose all those virgins and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us your oil, because our lamps are going out. 
that's important and the wise answer saying lest there be not lest there may not be sufficient for us and you go rather unto those selling and buy for yourselves and while they are going away to buy the bridegroom came and those ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut that refer that i mean that should refer your mind back to the time where the door was shut in the ark and afterwards come also do the rest of the virgins those who went away to buy oil saying sir sir open to us and he said verily i say unto you i have not known you watch therefore you have not known the day nor the hour in which the son of man doth come i want to take that parable and another parable that's found in luke matthew 22 uh but the the other parables in matthew 22 this is all from the same discourse that Jesus has given but I want to show in these two uh, parables where these distinctions are made what he's talking about and how it refers to what Paul is speaking of here in Romans chapter 9 of those who sought it by faith sought righteousness by faith salvation through faith remember uh, Romans 10 again saying my desire for them is that they would be saved why because salvation is that which brings the righteousness that is of faith in Christ the righteousness of God the righteousness of Christ that's the moment the soul submits salvation is the submitting of a soul to a power greater than yourself it is receiving from him what is not in you and could never be in you that's salvation that's who he is that's Christ in you that's the perfection embodied in the life that dwells in your soul that's the perfection that the gospel should be presenting and saying in him you are perfect in him you have completion because he who is completion is your life it shouldn't set you on a journey to try to find it or attain it it should declare to you it has been attained by grace through faith not of works lest any men should boast the gospel declaring in accordance to salvation a reality that leaves no man room to boast in himself or think himself to be more than he actually is so we'll get into those parables and look at that in the next episode thank you guys so much again for um listening to this and uh telling others about it i do appreciate that as well if you'll do that or have done that just thank you also let me just say there is a we have a YouTube channel some have found it and uh, have begun listening to it on YouTube it's uh, the satisfied God podcast uh, you can go there on YouTube and actually uh, listen it's not a video uh, but it is a audio that's on YouTube as well if you want to listen to it there if not, continue to listen here. If you listen through Stitcher, there is a, a, an app that people use called Stitcher. It's a podcasting app, but they are about to go away. So if you listen to this on Stitcher, then go somewhere else. Uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and, and find it there because Stitcher will be going away in the next few weeks. So thanks again, guys. Love you very much. Until next time, amen.